Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. In John chapter 12, and uh, begins with verse 1. Hear these words, the gospel. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. This is God's word for God's people. So today we're wrapping up the series that we've called, Where's God Now? We've been looking at the issue of suffering and pain and how do we reconcile that with a belief in God who is, is good. And so as I was thinking and we were planning the series last year, a friend of mine uh, came out with a new book and it's called Breaking Open, How Your Pain Becomes the Path to Living Again. And I thought, man, I would love for uh, him to come and share. And uh, he agreed to do that. So I'm really pleased to introduce our guest speaker today, Jacob Armstrong. Uh, Jacob is a friend of mine, and it's rare that I get to bring a friend, a pastor, fellow pastor, because they also have things to do on Sunday mornings and don't always get away. But uh, uh, he, he's a pastor uh, from originally from Mount Juliet, Tennessee, which is just east of Nashville. And uh, he had the privilege of being appointed to start a new church in Mount Juliet in uh, 2008. And uh, Providence Church came into being. Uh, they met a number of years in different schools, and God has blessed them, and they've become a, a thriving church. Uh, their mission statement is uh, to bring hope, healing, and wholeness uh, to, in, to people in Jesus' name. And uh, they're just a dynamic church in the, the Nashville area. Um, uh, Jacob is a uh, husband to Rachel. They have three beautiful daughters, and uh, he's also an author. Uh, he has written 10 books, including the one I just referenced on the subject of pain. 
He and I are part of a group of United Methodist pastors from around the country, and we've been meeting regularly for the past three and a half years. We get together every Thursday for two hours for the Zoom call, that we get together twice a year in person, and uh, we have all become very, very close. And so it, it, Jacob is a brother, a brother in Christ, someone I've come to uh, uh, treasure our relationship. And so it is, it is really, truly a joy to have him here today. So would you give a, a warm welcome to Jacob Armstrong? Well, good morning. Thank you so much uh, for having me today. Uh, I was not expecting that beginning to worship. That was so awesome. I'm like flying high from that. Um, I've heard for a long time about LaCroix Church. As Ron mentioned, as someone who started a church 15 years ago, uh, you hear about your church, the ministry and the impact, and really just about a, a movement of God. So I feel really, really honored to be here. Uh, your pastor, Ron and Brett are both uh, friends of mine, uh, good friends for the last several years. And uh, the, the most simple way I know to put it is I, I aspire to be a pastor and a leader like, like Pastor Ron. Uh, that's, my, that's my hope, uh, a humble, powerful man of God. So I know you guys know you have the best uh, pastors, but I come all the way from Tennessee uh, to tell you that. And I realized driving up here that I have never preached at another church on a Sunday morning except mine, uh, which is kind of crazy. And I don't know that it was intentional. I, it's not like I've had 100 invitations either, um, but... You know, I think there's been times that I've politely declined, and, and Ron called me at the end of uh, last year and said, told about the series and asked me if I would come, and I just said, yes, when do you want me to come? And I just, uh, it reminded me of my admiration for him and, and the honor to come here today. Uh, so uh, give me your grace as I preach on a Sunday morning, not at my church, uh, for the first time. Today I want to tell you about the anointing of David, the anointing of Doug, and the anointing of Jesus. The anointing of David, the anointing of Doug, and the anointing of Jesus. So there was a time when the people of God really got something wrong. They were asking, uh, they were asking the prophet Samuel for a king. You may know this story. They, they went to the prophet Samuel. He was the one that represented them to God. And, and they said, Samuel, we really want a king. We really want a king like the other nations have a king. And, and Samuel said, no, you don't. Trust me. You don't want a king. And they said, no, we do. We want, a, we want a human king. And Samuel said, no, you don't, because we have a king. Our king is Yahweh. But they demanded over and over, we want a king like the other nations. We want a human king. Samuel told them all the reasons that that was a bad idea. We know some of the reasons that that is a bad idea. But they demanded, and God told Samuel to give them a king. And so Samuel anointed this person, uh, a man who looked uh, the part. He was tall his strong, and strong, and his name was Saul. Saul became the first king of Israel. And he was a good guy, and he was seeking after God, but he became insecure, and his heart betrayed him, and he lost his courage, and he did all these things that sometimes human kings do, and he squandered the opportunity to lead the people of God. And so God came to Samuel and said, you have to go anoint a new king, another king. And Samuel was basically like, I'm retired, God. I don't think I'm up for this anymore. But God said, you must go. And Samuel went to the little town of Bethlehem. That's where God sent him. To one particular family, a family with a father named Jesse. And Jesse had eight sons. And, and Samuel knew that one of those sons would be the next king of Israel. So he comes into the town. They're frightened. They're bothered that this great man of God has come into their little town. And he goes to the family of, of Jesse, and he stands there. And the first son comes and stands before him. His name was Eliab. And Eliab was tall and strong, and Samuel thought, this is going to be easy. And God said, no, not this one. 
The next son came and stood before Samuel. His name was Abinadab. Abinadab stood there and, and you know, Samuel thought, well, I guess he'll do. And God said, no, not this one. The third son was named Shema. Shema came and stand and God said, no, not this one. And then four more sons. No, 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 no. Samuel says to Jesse, got any more sons? And Jesse said, yeah, I have one more son. Our youngest, his name's David. He's out in the fields tending the flocks. One of my favorite lines in scripture, Samuel says, we will not sit until he arrives. And I guess a couple of the brothers run out into the fields. They find the boy David lying in the grass. They rise him up and they say, David, Samuel, the great Samuel has come to our town. He's come to our father and he's, and they're like, I can't believe I'm saying this. He's asking for you. And they pull the boy up and he runs back into the town. You know, the heart, his heart beating out of his chest, standing before great Samuel. Because of the run and because of the moment, a freckled-faced, red-headed shepherd boy standing before him. And God says to Samuel, this is the one. And Samuel takes this great, this great horn of oil that sat in the most sacred place in the temple, in the holy place. And he takes that oil and he pours it over the head of David. This oil is running down the chin of this boy, the next new king of Israel. Here's the scripture from 1 Samuel. It says, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. An anointing can change your labels. What happened for David in that moment, no matter what happened in his life, people could say, you're just a boy. And he would say, but I'm anointed. They could say, you're just a a shepherd. He said, but I'm anointed. They could say, you're a fugitive on the run. He said, but I'm the anointed one. He could say, you're just a musician. He says, but I'm anointed. He had this label that was given to him by God, this change moment, this time when everything became different for him. I know that you all have been talking about how all of us, it's inevitable, will go through breaking moments, suffering, pain, tragedy. It's just a part of our lives. And sometimes those things can become like labels to us. We connect ourselves to the thing that we've gone through that is hard. And that's appropriate. We would never want to let go of that. But with God, there is an anointing that comes that can change and reframe and and give us a new label even in the great loss that we've gone through. I know that some of you here today and you're just feeling stuck. Uh, Some of you, you know, you're, you're just kind of barely got in the room today. I get it. And God has something that he can do, an anointing that he can give that will make you different. That's the anointing of David. Now I want to tell you about the anointing of Doug. You won't find this one in your Bible. My first middle-of-the-night call that I got as a pastor, I was 28 years old. I just started the church that Ron mentioned. We were meeting in elementary school, just a small group of people. And I got this call in the middle of the night. It was a panicked mother. And she told me that two of our teenagers, Michael and Doug, had just been in a terrible car accident not far from where I lived. While we were on the phone, they were uh, life flighted by helicopter to a place called Vanderbilt Medical Center, this large hospital in Nashville. She asked me if I would come. And so I drove into uh, Nashville to Vanderbilt. Uh, They have this cavernous lobby there. If you go there during the day, it's chaotic. There's people all over the place. But if you go in the middle of the night, there's usually just a few families that are huddled up. And so I came and I found the two families of my church. We maybe had four or five teenagers in our whole church. And I sat down with them. And it was during that night that we learned that Doug's neck was broken. Um, 
A few days later, I happened to be there as well in the ICU room with the family when a doctor said that Doug would never walk again. It was after that doctor left that Doug's uncle, his name was Joe, Doug's parents had both died earlier in his life, and he, had a, he lived with his uncle, his guardian. And Joe looked at me and he said, Pastor, would you anoint Doug and pray for his healing? I had never done that before. And I don't know that I had the faith in that moment to even pray that prayer, but I was going to honor what this uncle was asking me to do. I didn't have any oil, but I went to the sink of the ICU room, and I put a little water on my hands, and I put it on Doug's forehead. He was sweating. He had this brace on his whole body. He was paralyzed. And I said, Doug, I anoint you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you'd be healed. And nothing happened. A few weeks later, Doug was taken to a place called the Shepherd Center in Atlanta. It's a place for spinal injury. And I would visit him there, and he was making some improvements, beginning to move his arm or move his leg. But his family didn't tell me. One day, a few months later, I was preaching in uh, the, the elementary school we met in, Stoner Creek Elementary, which I, I guess have a ministry to stoners. I don't know. Uh, but that is the name of the school. And I do have a ministry to stoners, but that's not why I'm here. And... I was sitting there, I was standing there preaching in the gym of this elementary school to my little brand new baby church, and uh, Doug walked in the back on a walker. I have a picture of it from that day. And our little church, uh, that's my mom behind him with the white hair, that little church stood and cheered for this miracle that was now in our midst. It changed us that moment to see... Uh, this thing that we'd prayed for and hoped for, that God actually had the power to do something way bigger than we ever thought possible. Well, just a few months ago, I stood before another group uh, uh, where Doug was there. Uh, Doug is now a grown-up. <laughs> he's 30 years old, and um, he's a Christian counselor in our city. He went to college, got a master's degree. He still has a, some physical impairments, a limp. He can't move his arm. But I got to stand in front of a group for Doug's wedding and I've never seen this happen before. I've seen people stand up for the bride. But when Doug walked in the back, that whole place stood up and cheered. I've got a picture from our wedding day. And what I knew as Doug was walking in, I knew everyone was cheering just for his story, for his life, for the beauty of it. But what I knew is that he was anointed. And an anointing can change your future. When God steps in, when God does something, when God breaks through into our broken places, it can change the way we look at our future. And understand, friends, I have prayed at Vanderbilt Hospital a hundred times since then for young and old where the things that I wanted to happen didn't happen just the way that I thought they would. But I have a different belief because of what happened with Doug that God can work even when we don't see it happening. You see, that moment changed our church. <laughs> That miracle, we now, uh, like a place like LaCroix, we just believe that God can do anything in the midst of our hardest struggles, in the midst of our, our most difficult times. That's what I learned from the anointing of Doug. But now, uh, share, I want to share with you briefly the anointing of Jesus from the scripture Ron shared with us. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. What's interesting about this line, I know y'all looked at this a couple of weeks ago, is that in John chapter 11, Lazarus has a different label. He is actually called the dead man. 
His sister refers to him as the dead man. But you see, now Lazarus has a new label. He is the one whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So his label has changed. The next verse says that here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So the guy who had been dead is now just hanging out at the table reclining. So if you died three weeks ago, you can just recline while, you're, while your sister is working in the kitchen, okay? If you didn't die three weeks ago, you should probably get up and help her. But he's just like so thankful to be alive. He's reclining at the table, hanging out with Jesus. But the scripture says that the dinner was not thrown in Lazarus' honor. The dinner was thrown in Jesus' honor. It says, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Let me just read that whole verse to you again, and we'll we'll try to take in the moment. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This nard uh, was like uh, today sort of like an essential oil. It gave off a certain fragrance, and it was believed to have certain healing properties. But this particular one, because we know the name of it, it was called a spike nard. It was like uh, the gold standard of oils. It was the Tiffany diamond of, of this kind of thing. For this family, this nard would have been their most prized possession. It would have been the family jewel. It, the amount that she had was probably about the size of a Coke can, but it was worth what her whole family would have made in a year. And so Mary scandalously almost pours out all of it on Jesus' feet and takes her hair and begins to wipe his feet with it. You know, when you go all in for Jesus, it will make people uncomfortable. And that's sort of the feeling that we get from this scripture. It says one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor It was worth a year's wages. We'll read on. It says in verse 6, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse 7 says, Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for my burial. And then a line maybe you've heard from verse 8. He says, You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. We don't know if Mary actually knew exactly what she was doing, but this anointing that was given to Jesus was for his suffering, for his um, burial, and for his resurrection. An anointing prepares you for your purpose. When God sets you apart, when God pours out his spirit among you. And what we see in this scripture is that Our great moments in our lives, the actual purpose that God has given us is not in any way disconnected from the hard things that we're going to go through, the suffering, even the losses and the grief. But in fact, the anointing that God wants to give us, like Jesus, is deeply connected to the hardest things that we will ever walk through. And that's why, as you guys have looked at in this series about where is God now, and we ask those questions and we're honest about them, we see that there is actually a way that God is working in our suffering in our pain, in our breaking, that will lead to the most powerful way that God will use us in our lives. One of the reasons I know that Ron asked me to come today is because I am coming out of the hardest year of my life. 
uh, a year or so ago, I was finishing up the finishing touches on this book called Breaking Open, How Your Pain Becomes the Path to Living Again. I was actually uh, sitting on my front porch with my laptop open, putting the finishing touches on the manuscript. I was sending it in to HarperCollins publisher. I was so pumped. I was so excited about this book, written using stories of the, my ministry of the last 20 years. Uh, my house is, is uh, built on the back of a, a farm, of a field where I grew up, my parents' farm just outside of Nashville. And as I was sitting on the front porch, I got stung by a wasp. Now, you have to understand, I grew up in the country. I've been stung by a red wasp, probably in that field, a hundred times. But something happened that day, and I knew it as soon as it happened. I got stung by that wasp, and I barely made my way back into the house before I collapsed on the floor. Thankfully, my 17-year-old daughter, Mary, was in the kitchen, and she saved my life. She held my hands and held my head as I had a seizure. She called 911. Eventually, she got my wife, who was out on a walk back, and my wife, uh, they tell me, cried out to Jesus to rescue me. I was unconscious for over eight minutes, and that moment changed my life. I was unable to work for months, uh, unable to preach, unable to write, unable to read, unable to play the guitar. I had all these things pulled away and stripped away from me. Your pastor was one of the people who walked with me through that. I'm sure he remembers one time a few months after that when I was trying to share with him and those guys a scripture from the Bible, and I couldn't even remember what it was. It was a strange thing to have your brain not work anymore. And I asked questions during those moments. Um, I asked, am I going to get better? Uh, I wondered, am I going to be able to get back to where I was before? I even asked for the first time in my life, where are you, God? And one of the things, if I'm honest, that I, that I asked was, God, I've given my whole life to you. I thought that I was, I was one of the ones who was, who was pouring it out for you, and now it feels like everything has been pulled away. And the most honest way I can describe that season of my life is that I was really afraid. I just felt really afraid. And here's what I learned. That when everything was stripped away, the things that I thought gave me meaning in life, for me, you know, teaching or preaching or writing or, or uh, ministering to others, when all those things were pulled away and I sat at home, there was one thing that remained, and that was the power and presence of Jesus. He never left my side. And there was something else in that that didn't change, even though I wasn't able to do all the things I could do before. One thing that didn't go away was the anointing. I felt that God was still saying, I still love you. You're still chosen. You're still set apart. And that is independent from all those things you think you do for me. And sometimes when we go through the hardest things, one of our struggles is we feel that we're not serving God well or we're not doing all the things that we could do. And you know what? I don't know sometimes that you ever get back to where you were before. But the presence and power of Jesus is real. And so if you're in a place where you're like, I feel kind of stuck in my loss. I feel kind of stuck in my grief. I'm, I'm having trouble breaking out of this, um, this, this moment that I'm in. What I don't think you need to do is, is grit your teeth and get through it or pull yourself up from your bootstraps or try harder. 
What I don't think you need to do is give up. But the thing that we need in those moments is the Holy Spirit to fall on us, fill us, heal us, and empower us to receive an anointing from God. And there's something really cool in the scriptures where uh, John, who wrote the gospel that describes the death of Lazarus and this anointing that Mary does, that same John writes another letter that's found a little bit further back in our Bible. And he says that all of us who believe in Jesus actually have an anointing. Check this out. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. It says that those of us who believe have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that spirit is actually an anointing for our lives. And then a few verses later in verse 27, it says, As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. It's telling us that the Holy Spirit has a way of teaching us. Now you have great teachers here with Ron and and Brett and others, but this is saying that there's actually a way that God can teach your spirit, that God can speak to you deep unto deep, spirit unto spirit in moments where you feel grief and loss and brokenness. What I try to explain in the book that I wrote is that breaking moments are not something that we should avoid. They are inevitable in our lives. And oftentimes we think that we are going to walk right into what we might often call a breakdown. And breakdowns are are okay. And we see them in the scriptures in different places. But what I think is illustrated through the life of Jesus is that we are going to break, but the breaking is a breaking open. It leads us to a more authentic way of life, a deeper vulnerability with God and with people where we can share our deepest loss and where we can receive the fullness of the anointing poured out upon our heads like little boy David, oil, you know, dripping off of our chins. We say, I can't believe, God, you pulled me out of the fields. I didn't even know you knew I was out there. I didn't know that you knew my name. But there's a specific thing that this first John scripture says is available for all Christians, an anointing that will teach us the truth. And our, uh, our action in that is simply to remain in Jesus, to remain connected to him. And so, uh, LaCroix Church, I um, am honored to be here with you. And I've been praying for those of you who might have been through an experience um, like David or Doug or like myself, where you thought, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it out of this. And some of us may be in that moment right now where we're just wondering, am I even going to be able to get better? And the thing that we are called to do is to remain in Jesus, to cling to him. And I think today to ask God, would you fall on us? Would you fill us? Would you heal us? And would you empower us? Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for this season that we have walked through where we have been honest and asked, where are you, God, or where are you now? It's in these moments, God, where we lift up honestly our hearts to you, knowing and giving thanks that you know exactly who we are and exactly what we're facing. You know those of us who are experiencing great loss right now. You know those of us who are walking through uh, grief, And we haven't even had time to grieve. 
And you know those of us in the room who are longing for an anointing, for something to change us and set us apart as different and to give us a new name, uh, a new future, and a new purpose. So in these next few moments, God, as we worship together as the church, as your church, we pray that you would pour out your anointing on us. And those of us who need to respond and come and, and receive prayer and anointing, we feel the freedom and the joy and um, just the peace to come and be in your presence. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.